0: Welcome to Earth Matters on Gila Members Community Radio, KURU at 89.1 FM. I'm Donna Stevens, your host for today's program, and the Executive Director of the Upper Gila Watershed Alliance, a local nonprofit working to protect the Gila watershed through advocacy, education, and restoration. You may have noticed that Earth Matters has been on a break for the last few months, and that during that time... We rebroadcast shows from the archives. While on break, we decided on a new focus for the program. Climate change is here, and New Mexico is feeling its effects. What can we do to draw down our climate-changing carbon emissions, restore our land and water, and adapt to harsher, more challenging conditions? The Gila Resources Information Project and the Upper Gila Watershed Alliance have relaunched Earth Matters now, a bi-weekly podcast that will help you understand how New Mexicans are rising to the climate challenge and how you can too. Each hour-long episode will bring to you conversations with people working on the ground to address climate change in the southwest, and to provide you with information on how you can make a difference and help bring collective action to this global crisis. Allison Civic and myself, Donna Stevens, are your hosts for Earth Matters, airing every Tuesday and Sunday at 10 a.m. on Gila Mimbris Community Radio. This year is our 10th anniversary. On today's show, I am talking with Jamie Thompson about the really big topic of carbon Jamie has been working with biochar and really thinking about the issue of carbon and carbon drawdown for several years. So I thought it was about time that we have him on the show. In Jamie's words, how do we learn to think in carbon so we don't get overwhelmed or anxious? How can we move forward both personally and politically with a clear-eyed look at the scope of the problem and describe a map for participating in meaningful solutions? On today's show, we're going to discuss the carbon cycle, feedback loops, how biochar removes carbon from the biological carbon cycle, and increases net primary productivity In the second half of the show, we'll talk about biochar stoves around Palomas and in Silver City. And finally, in the last section, we'll touch on carbon pricing for combining powerful market mechanisms with decentralized carbon drawdown. We will conclude with specific actions people can take to learn more or to become involved. And if you're not familiar with these terms, not to worry. We'll talk about all of this. Welcome, Jamie. Oh, thank you, Donna, uh, for having me on your show. Let's jump right into the biggest issue of our time, Jamie. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or IPCC for short, is telling us that we are going to have to achieve net zero, which means going from our current 40 gigatons per year to net zero and then also remove another 20 gigatons to get back to where equilibriums were healthy. Can you start by explaining
1: what net zero means? Well, the net zero is just going to be that the amount of um, carbon that enters the biological carbon cycle from fossil fuels is offset by an equal amount of carbon um, pulled out uh, from that cycle. So that would be net zero.
0: Okay. For most of us, I think it's really hard to grasp the idea of a gigaton. How big is that? Can you
1: help us picture that? It's a incredibly large number. A gigaton uh, is a billion tons. Um, and in thinking of a gigaton, oftentimes we, we think a lot like um, like the national debt. The, the numbers are, are just too big. And so... For me, I think what makes most sense is to instead of looking at gigaton per an entire globe, if we average that out and say, how much does that mean per person? Um, and, and what does that mean uh or per neighborhood or per extended family? Something that is uh provides us with, with numbers that are a little bit more comprehensible. A, a gigaton is is uh an incredibly large number. Uh, and, and that's the problem with, with climate change is that when we start looking at the actual numbers, um, the, the uh, 60 gigaton of carbon dioxide that we have to um, essentially remove from the uh, atmosphere, um, it's overwhelming. And our response is to, to just back away from the problem completely.
0: Yeah, I think that's true, that when things are overwhelming, we just go, oh, that's that's a topic for another day. I'm not going to think about that today. Can you talk about how we got to this point, Jamie? What brought us here where we are now?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I guess to go back <laughs> uh, a, a distance, um, early on, uh, the early plants, um, uh, one of the early uh, evolutionary adaptations was, um, the ability to, uh, uh, synthesize energy, um, from sunlight. And so what we did is what plants did is they, uh, with, with, uh, chloroplasm, um, they were able to take sunlight, the energy from the sun and combine carbons into, uh, sugars. And then those sugars were linked together into, um, structures, uh, that were used in the, in the plants. And those structures were, you know, lignin and cellulose. And originally when those structures, um, were, uh, constructed, um, there were no enzymes for reversing that process back to the original sugars where bacteria that were living on the pot on the planet at the time could break them back down into, into, um, into carbon dioxide. And so all of those linked carbons uh, just accumulated on the surface of the planet. And there were no fungi to break it down. And so eventually they became um covered in ground and uh were put under you know under geological times um were put under incredible pressures, right? And so those pressures, uh, what it did is the those long chains of sugars or carbon um, would would be, would, parts of it would start to vibrate right under those incredible pressures and heat. And that would volatilize some of those guys off of there. And what you were left with, with were these hydrocarbons that were uh, compressed forms of energy. And early on, well, in the Industrial Revolution, we discovered that we could use that compressed energy to do work. You know, we could run locomotives, um, cars, everything that we see uh, on the planet now um, came out of that discovery that we could pull those carbon bonds that were not part of the biological carbon cycle and the carbon biological carbon cycle is photosynthesis and respiration, it was um, separate from that cycle. And what we did is we found that that was an incredibly um, cheap form of energy. It did a lot of work for us. It still does a lot of work for us. And when we combusted that those carbon bonds uh, to do that work for us, to drive our trucks and drive our tractors and make our fertilizers, um, it released the carbon that were in those bonds to the atmosphere is carbon dioxide. In the 1920s um, the chemists had already figured out that changing the relative composition of the atmosphere such that it has more carbon dioxide would have implications for, for uh, climate warming. Um, So we've known it for a long time Um, and the magnitude, that's why we are talking about billions of tons, tons of, Um, carbon dioxide come from so many years of burning these fossil fuels. It's pretty amazing that we've known about
0: this, or some people have known, since the 1920s. I mean, that's 100 years ago, right? And (laughs) that, you know, we knew that uh, short-circuiting this geological carbon cycle would cause global warming. Can you talk more about that?
1: Um, Yeah, yeah. The, um, yeah, from a personal experience, you know, Austin, <laughs> uh, just to age, age myself a little bit, I was um, taking uh, graduate level classes. Graduate classes um, in nineteen was oh, the, the, I remember looking on the the front of the book. It was um, soil biogeochemistry, and the uh, I remember looking because I was always surprised, right? Because people <laughs> just weren't taking this thing very seriously. And uh, and I kept that book because I really liked that textbook. And um, I looked at the copyright date on it. It was 1982. And so this is for a textbook that was uh, copyrighted in 1982, which means that the papers that describe the things in this textbook happened way before then. And um, this the the description of climate change in this textbook was in the introduction. So. <laughs> Since the 1980s, we've had a really pretty accurate understanding of what the dynamics are, but we have not, I believe, um, been able to to value this thing that we so take for granted, which is our our uh, planetary atmosphere.
0: Right. So, uh, Jamie, what happens to all this carbon that's been combusted since before the Industrial Revolution even began?
1: Oh yeah, that's a, that's a great question, um, and, and and there's a lot of confusion still about that. Um, when people ask, why is if um, when I burn gasoline, I make carbon dioxide and water? Why is that different from when I burn um, a log in a, in my fire, which also produces carbon dioxide and water? What, what's the difference? And the difference is that the geological carbon cycle, the one that I talked about earlier, is on really long time spans. Um, And we have sequestered from a very early time in our planet's history, um, a a condensed layer of um, available energy. Um, And what we did is we took that energy and combusted it. So that short-circuited the geological carbon cycle and added a bunch of carbon dioxide to the biological carbon cycle. And the biological carbon cycle is just this uh, cycle that is in an equilibrium that is uh, photosynthesis, which is um, where light combines carbon dioxide to make sugars and respiration. Um, And respiration is simply the reversal of that project, so uh, pro- process. And so with um, long chains of say cellulose or lignin, what happens now is that um, those are broken up by enzymes that then allow the cell to capture uh, glucose. And then that glucose, which is just those sugars of uh, carbons a small um, ring of carbons that make up glucose, That goes into your mitochondria, and I'm sure anyone that's had high school and middle school even, um, uh, biology, remembers the mitochondria. Mitochondria is where those sugars are broken down into into energy. Um, As they're broken down into energy, that carbon dioxide, the the carbon that was um, in the um, sugar, is broken down into individual carbons. Um, and two oxygens attached to it. And that becomes, uh, carbon dioxide. And then it starts the process all over again. The problem is, is that when you add a bunch of carbon dioxide to that system, now we have the system has to come up with a new equilibrium. Um, the other problem is that as those concentrations of carbon dioxide, um, increase from combustion of fossil fuels, um, it, uh, insulates the the planet where it's like a a, a blanket over the planet. Um, And so um, temperatures go up.
0: Yeah. So uh, I hadn't really thought about the biological versus the geological carbon cycle before. So I'm glad you talked about that, how, you know, the geological carbon cycle is on really, really long time frames as opposed to what we're doing now, putting all that carbon into the atmosphere in a really short time, right? Am I understanding I think, that correctly?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the reason we're doing, spending so much time with these kind of lectures on stuff that doesn't seem very relevant is that um, they, um, what we're talking about with biochar is essentially the reversal of that process. We're taking things from the biological carbon cycle um, and we're removing it from that cycle and sequestering it in a place where uh, that won't happen. So wh- what happens is we're taking carbon from the biological carbon cycle and essentially turn- putting it into the geological carbon cycle.
0: Gotcha. OK, well, we're going to talk more about that uh, in, in the next part of the show. So we'll be right back on Earth Matters on KURU at 89.1 FM after this short break to continue our discussion with Jamie Thompson about carbon and its
1: significance. Don't go away.